no society ever got better by forcing more religion on the populace. When Gallup reports that religion is on the decline in our country, that, in my opinion, is our signal to start making our voices all the louder. There was a time when that's all we had as human beings in terms of understanding. Everything was magic and deities. Well, guess what? We know better now. And since we know better, we really should think better. The point is that we learn and we grow. And when we understand better, we stop thinking this way. And far too many people just never do. Let the people who want to pledge their allegiance to God, pledge to God. Let the people who want to pledge to their country, pledge to their country. These two things do not have to occupy the same space. We have the power to bring unity, and we also have the power to cultivate division. It all has to do with who rises up as the influencers. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell, and it's time to get unbound. So you want to build a country, and you want a secular rule of government in this country. So what better way to accomplish this than to fill your government with a bunch of religious people? Hmm, that'll work. That's the United States in a nutshell, and how we've done things for a long time. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight, we are going to be talking about secularization, how it's supposed to work, and what the benefits are to a society that adopts a more secular way of doing things, as opposed to constantly kowtowing to fake deities and the people who support them. But before we get into any of that, as you noticed, last week again, we were kind of incommunicado. And there were a couple of reasons for that, most of them personal. But a lot of it had to do with me trying to reconcile what we're doing with this show with the fact that we've kind of skirted over a lot of stuff in the last few months when we decided to stop doing the whole Christians behaving badly thing and just focus on a single topic. I thought it was a good idea at the time. I thought that it was something that would actually enhance what we were doing, but it's becoming more apparent to me over time that we are missing out on commenting on a lot of things that we should be commenting on. Right. The whole point of this show is to come up with topics that are timely and relevant and have social impact. And I think that our Christians Behaving Badly segment was a really, really good way of staying on top of that. And it was also a good way for you guys to hear from Shell. Yeah. And I feel like her voice has been diminished quite a bit over the past few months since we decided to take it in a different direction. I do get very, very zealous over the topics that I choose. I'm usually the one that's choosing the topics and I put a lot of work into the notes and my brain just wants to run with it. And every single time I listen back to one of our episodes and it's just me going on and on and you sitting across the table and just agreeing with everything. It's like, (laughs) okay, well, isn't this one of the problems within evangelicalism where the man has everything to say and the woman just sits there and agrees with him? We don't want that to be the show. Right. So we made a decision last week that first we were going to do just one episode a month that was all Christians behaving badly stuff. But the more I thought about that, it's like, well, what happens in the weeks in between when things happen and it's not time to talk about that? Well, 
honestly, I think that it's just better to talk about it. Right. And I think that it's going to help people hear from you some more Mm -hmm. because you're going to be a little bit more involved in the conversation. And then, of course, when we get into the main part of our show, I found that when we were doing this before, you were more vocal. Yeah. And I really want to get back to that. I know that our listeners like hearing from you. (laughs) And I think that you've chosen a couple of really, really good stories to start us out. So just before we get back into our Christians Behaving Badly segment, and we're going to revive this and hopefully do it every week. But before we do that, just want to let you know, our Patreon account is out there, patreon.com slash network. Toss us a fiver. You will be glad you did. We'll be glad you did. We'll be able to do more with the show. And it will just help us to move things in the direction that we want them to move. And we'll be able to start offering more cool stuff if we get more people supporting the show. So if you have the means to help us out, we are starting at $5 level. That's just over a buck an episode. And I think that it's well worth it. And if you are not in the position to help us out financially, again, just tell somebody new about the show this week. Let someone who needs to hear this messaging get in front of it, because that is how a lot of podcasts gain popularity, is with their listeners talking about them and bringing new listeners in. So if you can do that for us, that to me is every bit as valuable as that five bucks. But if you can do both, even better. So with that, Let's dive right into our Christians Behaving Badly segment. And I love these two stories. I love these two (laughs) stories that you came up with. The last time I put together a Christians Behaving Badly segment, it just seems like the stories were much less crazy. Oh, I don't know about that. We've talked about some crazy shit. Yeah, but they were like ordinary people who've done weird stuff. Mm -hmm. This is like people who have an actual platform doing really weird stuff. Mm -hmm. So this first one I chose because it relates to a couple of our earlier episodes, like number 58, Who Would Jesus Kill? And episode 49, A Brief look into Christian violence. The headline on this from Right Wing Watch is Just Kill Him. Prophet Jeff Jansen brags that the ushers in his church will not hesitate to shoot anyone who tries to, quote unquote, pull something. And does he ever get specific about what he expects people to pull and what is a big enough offense to get their ushers to draw their guns? I did not search out the entire sermon because what i heard was enough who wants to hear who wants to listen to that i'll probably have flashbacks so anyway jeff jansen a likely name is a christian prophet who has predicted things like well in february he predicted that trump would be reinstated by the end of april and in march he predicted that trump would be reinstated by the end of june not sure how both of those could possibly be true but i guess his imagination works in mysterious ways and here is a quote i believe this is from right wing watch self-proclaimed prophet jeff jansen spoke at a rain conference at ignite faith church in redmond oregon over the weekend god these or, names these names know, in these church ignite, ignite faith. faith that's got kind of a violent connotation to it right yeah. there and rain as in we're going to rain over the earth Yes, indeed. I mean, they're not really talking about God. They think they are, but they're not. No. 
That took place over the weekend where he bragged that the ushers in his church all carry guns and will not hesitate to kill anyone who even thinks about starting something. So you don't even have to start something. You just have to think, think about, about tar- starting, starting something. something. He said you want to be starting something? you got to be starting something. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Jansen kicked things off by declaring that Jesus was a tough guy and complaining that the church today has turned effeminate, almost homosexual. The oh, church, we sake. are so neutered, Jansen griped. We are, we are so neutered. Are you if including only, yourself in this, dude? If only. If only, yeah, right? If you just maybe got in touch with your feminine side a little bit. Well, maybe. I'm thinking more of yeah. them being neutered, you know? Because uh, yeah. you can't reproduce maybe. if you've been fucking neutered. Yeah, this is true. He goes on to make the point in this message that Jesus wasn't a wimp, citing his whip-making and table-flipping abilities at the temple where they were buying and selling, and then says something that sounds like he's clutching his pearls. At the same time, he's clutching his God-ordained firearm. Oh, Jesus. He was a man, he added, but the church, the ecclesia, the government of God, has been so nerdered and so turned effeminate, almost homosexual. I'm just telling you straight up, it's just ridiculous. Where are the men? Where's the maleness? Where is the I will defend the children? I will protect the family. My ushers at my church, they all pack. I mean, they all pack. You come to my place and you think about starting something, you're dead. They'll kill you. They'll shoot you because they're going to protect everyone else. You try to pull something, you're dead. I said, listen guys, if I'm up here preaching and someone comes up running, you make sure you get them. Just kill them. Just shoot them dead. Oh, you know, for starters... I'm having flashbacks of Mission Impossible and just thinking about this coming from that pulpit on Bring a Friend Day. Uh-huh. I mean, it sounds like the same kind of craziness yeah. that was going on in that room. I mean, no one was talking about killing anyone, but it was the same level of crazy. And I've heard so many of these things, you know, from the time that I was a fledgling evangelical as a teenager. Uh, We were talking before we sat down to record about that one convention that I went to. And they had us singing this idiotic song, I'm not a wimp, I'm a warrior. Yes. There's that part of it. And then when we're talking about where are the men, all I can think about with that is at some point at Faith Assembly, our youth pastor decided that it would be a good idea to put together this group that was just for the male members of the youth group. Oh, boy. And started out the first meeting with this song. I'm pretty sure I would have to look it up again. It's really just coming back into my head right now. But I'm pretty sure there was a song out there by Carrie Livgren, who used to be of Kansas and then AD. Yep. Who put out this song called We Are the Men. And it was every bit as cringeworthy as it sounds. I don't remember the lyrics. I should look at I'm sure it's on YouTube. I can uh, find it, probably plug it into the show notes so that people can watch and cringe the same way I had to I mean, when I was 15. you probably just find the lyrics. It's just, yeah. But these people are such one-trick ponies. We've been hearing the same shit for decades yeah. from these at people. None of this is unfamiliar. Because in the 70s, people were still trying to do the peace and love thing mm-hmm. for the most part. You know, all the Jesus. A lot of Jesus were. movement stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, in the 80s, people had to be men. Um, and especially in evangelical circles. Yeah. It, it, the whole power struggle thing yeah. became 
very real in the 80s and the whole concept of toxic masculinity really really blew up yeah. during that decade too it so did. yeah the whole man-centric thing and i love i just absolutely adore how he equates manhood with carrying a gun yeah. paging dr freud yeah i, know, I mean right? seriously there was that one quote in our last episode about, you know, if you really need to feel the pulsating heat of your <laughs> weapon firing, it's like, yeah, no, that's, and I've actually thought that before. Yeah. But every single time I see something like this, it becomes even more vivid. Yeah. It's like, are you trying to protect something or are you trying to compensate for something yeah. here? The clip of Jansen preaching was shared by Right Wing Watch on their Twitter page. And it, of course, you know the internet, and the internet mm -hmm. just sort of tore it apart. Most called the clip disturbing or equally hilarious and horrifying, but thankfully most just came to mock him. Check out his church on Sunday. Maybe his ushers won't kill you. Yeah, and it's more of that warmth and love and acceptance. They understand their God way better than they think they do. Yeah. And when they come out with stuff like this, it just makes it that much more vivid in my mind how well they really understand this, but keep it mostly under wraps. They want God to be this picture of love and grace and just fatherly goodness. And then they come out with this. Well, yeah. these this kind of thought comes from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So where does it come from? It comes from getting to know their daddy like we talked about all the way back and i think it was episode two get yeah. to know your daddy because this is who he is and when they come out with stuff like this it just makes it that much more apparent that they understand it and this is the type of father that they want to emulate and it is absolutely equal parts horrifying and laughable yeah it's laughable to the extent that we understand just how ridiculous it is, but it's horrifying when you start understanding how much of that thinking infiltrates culture mm. and the impact that it can have. And we've seen small snippets of it recently, but we've seen much bigger ones in the past. We've seen plenty of examples of how this kind of image of God manifests in the way that people think and behave. Yeah, so definitely. not to get too heavy in what's supposed to be kind of a light subject, yeah. but it's very true. They know who their God is at the oh, end yeah. of the day. They know who he is and they emulate him. Well, mm -hmm. what's the next one on the list? <laughs> next up is my personal favorite disgraced televangelist, Jim Baker. He's been a favorite on this show before. I just pity him. He's not powerful enough to earn my anger. He's just really pitiful at this point. He's always been pitiful. Well, yes. Most of has. these guys are pretty damn pitiful. Right. Well, along with his buckets of rapture chow, he also peddles another big business of evangelicals these days, conspiracy theories. These go great with the misinformation and shady business deals his end-time broadcast also sells. Now, so, can you stop just for a second and remind people what the whole rapture chow thing was? Oh, Because that yes. was another one of his scams. Well, yeah, he sells these big buckets of dehydrated food for when the rapture comes, just in case you're not Jesus-y enough to go in the first wave, Yeah, I guess. 
Yeah. It's really fuzzy on why these things are a thing. But yeah, you can buy huge buckets of dehydrated meals. He was big on the, uh, not disaster prepping, doomsday prepping. Doomsday prepping. That was his thing for yes. a while there now. And, and I'm so just he's like, kind of shifting his marketing a little. Yeah, it it's really like, this is extra. So last week's guest on his End Times broadcast featured right-wing conspiracy theorist Steve Quayle who has a long history of promoting all sorts of wild things like aliens and transdimensional beings and is now featuring something I hadn't heard before. Not in this context, anyway. Can you guess? Well, you know, only but... because we discussed it. But just brace yourselves, people, because here it comes. Zombies! What's what? in his head? What's I... in his head? I... Zombies? 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 <laughs> oh my god, it just got that. All right. It took you a second. It took me a second. I'm not thinking of it, so. Quail suggested that material collected from nasal swabs and south end swabs. Would that be the south end of Springfield? What the fuck is he talking about? I know what he's talking about. Yes, I do but too, but it's come like, on. really? You can't just say it? Yeah. Used in COVID 19 testing are covert genetic capture techniques designed to create a bioweapon that could transform people into the undead on the latest edition of the Jim Baker Show. Baker did not appear to question the premise that real-world zombies existed when speaking to Quail, referring to the reanimation of the deceased as being like any other disease. I smell a great, big, fat David A.R. White movie in the works with this. Why doesn't he just fucking collaborate with him? I know. They need to collaborate. Because this would absolutely blow up Pure Flix. Oh, yes. It would be like the biggest thing that they ever put out. The Christian Walking Dead. Can you imagine? Well, we've got the Christian Sons of Anarchy, so why the fuck not? Yeah, right? If you haven't heard of Steve Quayle before, and I hadn't, this is a person who has also promoted the idea that... Obama got the nomination for the presidency from, quote-unquote, Satan's throne in 2008, and has claimed there is a massive conspiracy by the global elite to reduce the human population by 90% through the use of birth control, Ebola, and the Zika virus, and also purports to be the foremost expert on giants. I... I shouldn't. I shouldn't be surprised by any of this. I'm. It's not that I'm surprised. It's just that I read this and it's like, what kind of thinking rational human being would listen to this for like more than five seconds? And then it occurred to me, well, no, a thinking rational human being wouldn't. But the people right. that tune into this idiot yes. absolutely would. Right. He really does buy into the whole QAnon conspiracy theory about the Democrats sex trafficking children and drinking their blood, etc. and grossness. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much of that. And of course, I mean, obviously, none of it is substantiated. You no. can't ask him to cite sources. No. Because it's one of those things where, you know, he would come back and tell you to do your own research. Yes. Do your own research and discover it for yourself. Well, no, because you're the one that's saying that it's happening. So yeah, we kind of so need it's for you. you to expand on this a little bit and tell us why we need to believe it. Well, I don't need to do that. I've This comes straight from the mouth of God, and he wants you to know this. And you can accept it or you can reject it. That's pretty much the way that that would be handled. And obviously, 
that's good enough for the people who would be tuning into this shit. But for the rest of us, you know, and, and I'm, I'm thinking how absurd it is. Right. But then it occurs to me that we're talking about people who adhere to a religion where they worship a god who died to basically quell his own anger mm. over rules that he created that now humanity finds themselves in a pickle in. And these rules were violated by a woman who ate an apple given to her by a talking snake. Mm -hmm. So when you look at it from that perspective, how far off is this to someone who believes that implicitly and has believed that their entire lives? It seems much more plausible. They're not going to be asking for proof. They're just going to start sending in the checks or cash apping whatever money yeah. they're asking for, however it's done these days. Send your check, send your cash app, send your PayPal, whatever you want to do. Um, as long as the money gets to us, it's all good. Yeah. As a further note to his dubious credentials, Alex Jones believes every one of Steve Quayle's predictions of have Of course he does. Why wouldn't he? Because now he can springboard on the heels of this and do his own thing with it, too. So, of course, he's going to believe it implicitly. And then, you know, can you imagine these two, they get together and they start combining their idiot forces together? Um, I've talked about Jim Baker's show before when he was peddling the colloidal silver cure for COVID that doesn't exist. But I think this particular guest really shows you the level of talk they're getting on the show. Well, yeah, but I mean... We're talking about a guy who tried to peddle a cure for something he doesn't believe in. Right. So what caliber of guest, I mean, let's say that you wrote a book on like anything Mm -hmm. and it caught the interest of Jim Baker. When his publicist calls you and asks you to be on his show, what's your response? Yeah. I mean... I know I wouldn't go on his show. Well, no. I would never want my name associated with that guy. So it's like you you call and call and call until you get somebody who's going to say, sure, I'll come on your show, and there you go. Mm -hmm. Quayle admonished those who would question the plausibility of his zombie claims. He said that the doubters should ask why the U.S. military and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have documents related to zombies if all this is wild stuff. And yes, the U.S. military and the CDC both have emergency preparedness sections about the zombie apocalypse, as they are both ridiculous, but also effective training tools for learning. The CDC has like a list of emergency preparedness hints for if there's a zombie apocalypse. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's just getting people used to kind of reading what they're supposed to do because they have all those lists. Now, I never knew that this existed, but part of me says it's kind of brilliant because the types of people who are going to be like COVID deniers and anti-vaxxers might actually listen to this and glean something useful from it if they're ever was some kind of widespread natural disaster that they had to deal with now at least they have a little bit of knowledge at their disposal that they can use so i can understand why it's there i think that it's very very cheeky yeah that it's there and that it's framed in that way but i don't think it's all bad I think it's it's a good way of getting a certain type of person to think in a certain direction. It's basically the collapse of civilization idea. 
you know, the U.S. military has, and some of these titles are, are hilarious, like the chicken zombie apocalypse, the vegan zombie apocalypse. Chicken zombies. Oh, my God. <laughs> Poultry geist. Yeah. Uh, that's, that yeah. just jumped right into my head, David yep. Troma. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. No one is actually saying zombies are real. They're just using it as a tool to, in the U.S. military's case, do war games with a certain premise that this is going to happen and this is how you deal with it. This is how you deal with the total collapse of civilization. Mm -hmm. How are you going to help people? How are you going to keep people safe? Right. You know, that type of thing. Right. But I can't even condense the amount of wild stuff Quayle is saying here. So here's a quote from his segment of Jim Baker's show. That's only part of the story. Zombies also have the evil spiritual entity known as demon possession. Oh, Jesus. The best way to explain zombies' bloodlust is this. The appetite of demons expressed through humans, Quail continued. It should be astonishing to people that the richest people in the world, not all of them, but some of them, are into occult ceremonies where they have to drink blood that's extracted from a tortured child. Now that's sick, but that's the appetite of demons expressed through humans. You know, I haven't heard stuff like this in quite a while. It's starting to give me satanic panic flashbacks. Yeah, it is. And oh my God, I just... Yeah. They're such one-trick ponies. I know. They keep recycling all this shit. Whenever they think it's relevant, it just keeps coming back. Yeah, and this is not the end of that quote. (laughs) <laughs> they can induce zombieism, at least the appetite for human flesh, he added. If this is all wild stuff, why does the military have a manual about it? Why does the CDC ha- even have anything on their website? And remember, the Center for Disease Control, or creation, oh, I call it, that's on. my opinion. The whole subject of zombies could just be boiled down at one end to a genetically modified human that is no longer human on the weather on the level that you and I or a living being is, then that corpse, that walking animated, that's a better word, it's not living, an animated corpse is possessed by a demonic entity. That demonic entity has knowledge, it has sentience, it has, how do I say this? There's a purpose to do nothing else but to destroy. So they're Terminators. Demonic Terminators. Demonic zombie Terminators. We are in danger from the demonic zombie terminators. David A.R. White, are you listening? Are you yeah, taking notes? This, this is this is this is gold. This, this is this is pure flicks gold right here. Right here. You should make this movie. And make it as gory as you want. I would watch this movie. We know you have the blood buckets. I would watch this movie. <laughs> I would watch this movie and then I'd want Gam to review it. I would watch this movie. I would I would do several dabs, smoke a bowl, (laughs) and eat a couple of edibles and sit down and watch this movie. I totally and completely would. So, you know, I don't find myself speechless over some of this craziness often, but I'm just sitting here and I'm reading this quote as you're you're delivering it. And I mean, I, I said it earlier, I shouldn't be surprised by anything that comes out of evangelical Christianity, but... I am constantly amazed at how they pull things from popular culture. Yeah. And try to take ownership of them 
and try to give them their own slant. And this is just another example of this. The whole concept of zombies is not something that is novel no. in popular media. How many seasons have we had of The Walking Dead so far? How, how long is the... Far too many. Yeah. I'm just going to put that out too there. Too many. It stopped many. being a good show after like two or three seasons. Yeah. And some people are sitting out there saying blasphemy, and some of them are saying, oh, it was only one season. <laughs> and everybody's right. Everybody's as far as I'm right. concerned, you know, if that's your brand of escapist entertainment then more power to you i didn't make it past the first negan episode but that was just me um the way that they take this stuff and put their own slant on it it's like like we were talking about when we were discussing the other david a.r white movies yeah they put their own slant on it but it's not that different than what you're going to see from some kind of mainstream production like the walking dead the only difference is that they stamp it as Christian, and in the minds of pretty much any evangelical out there, that just by definition makes it okay. Yeah. So now they've got it into their heads that they can actually make money with this. So of course they're going to run with it, and of mm-hmm. course they're going to put this kind of a slant on it. So did you have anything else you want to say um, about it? Yeah, that particular story just had me dumbfounded. I was like... How are we even talking about this in the year 2021? How is this even a thing? This is like vampire hunters back in like the 1600s, 1500s. People purporting to kill vampires. How are we still talking about talking snakes making girls eat apples in 2021? I don't know, man. As long as these stories are still out there and they're still being regarded as literal truth, then that opens the door wide for all of this kind of stuff because there'll always be an audience for it. And there will always be people who just take it at face value and believe it because someone who they consider to be a quote-unquote authority says it's true. And we've talked about the dangers of that kind of thinking many times on this show too. So I'm not going to belabor that point. I think it's time to just get right into our main topic And I'm so glad that we brought this back. I think that it's really, really neat to be able to say that we're actually out there and we're paying attention to what's going on right now. And I like that we can deliver some good messaging on the right now aspect of this and provide something that's a little bit, I don't know, lighter to lead into a more heavy subject like what we're getting into right now. But... That's it for Christians Behaving Badly this week. We will be back with more next week. If you like what we're doing with this, then please let us know so we yes. can do more. And even at 59 episodes, oh, this yeah. is still, this pro, this show is still kind of a baby. We're still in yeah. the embryonic stages of it. And we want to know if you think we can do anything better. If you like what we're doing or you don't like what we're doing, we want to hear from you. And all of our contact information is going to be listed at the end of the show. So I'm just going to leave that there. And we're going to move onward into our main topic. So what is secularization? Well, according to Google Dictionary, which I think links directly to dictionary.com, Secularization is defined as, quote, disassociation or separation from religious or spiritual concerns. In anthropological terms, secularization is the natural progression of our species as human beings. 
We start out explaining everything we don't understand by attributing it to magic or to the actions and behaviors of various deities. Then we start discovering things, understanding things better, becoming more independent, pursuing knowledge, solving problems, and much, much more. Eventually, we figure out that all those things that we attributed to, quote, the gods have natural explanations which diminish the power and influence of deities in our thought processes. We stop depending on belief for our understanding of ourselves, our nature, etc., and start seeking out hard answers. Well, at least that's what's supposed to happen. But these brains of ours are still geared toward belief. It's one of the curses of having an advanced intellect, I think. We can make ourselves think whatever we want, and we can influence thought in others. If we choose to perpetuate the notion of deities being behind everything, the notion will remain in the minds of people. And that's where problems start to creep into this equation. Naturally, we're supposed to grow and move past this. We're supposed to learn things, we're supposed to become smarter, and we're supposed to put away these notions of magic and gods. But these things are still in the world. And there are reasons why. Most of them have to do with the way that our species just continues to perpetuate these things. And it happens as the result of grown-ups continuously placing these thoughts into the minds of children. That is most of it right there. Right. Our base tendency, and it always has been, this is just us as people, and we can observe it in the world right now. There are still plenty of primitive cultures out there where we can observe this. Our base tendency is to believe in deities. That is, on a very primitive level, that's our base tendency. One where in access to information and knowledge, particularly in the area of science, is not yet available. And that's where a lot of pagan religions came into play. Paganism has its roots in primitive, that word is important, primitive human thought, and is the oldest form of religion there is. In other words, it's a religion that's as old as people. And religion itself is as old as people. And honestly, this was one of the key reasons why I eventually adopted paganism. It seemed more, I guess the word is natural, for a person to follow paganism than to follow Christianity or any other religion for that matter, because it felt to me at the time like it was something that was really built into my DNA. And it is, it is. But the point is that we learn and we grow and when we understand better, we stop thinking this way. And far too many people just never do. So all of this is true of us as human beings. This is part of our makeup. This is who we are. This is where, or I should say, this is where we have come from. Right. But it's not so true in a society that has found so many of the real answers to things that paganism only ever guesses at. Just for the sake of example, when you don't understand what static electricity is, your only other explanation for lightning is probably going to be things like magic and deities. Thor is the god of thunder. Well, thunder doesn't happen because a god makes it happen. It happens because hot air and cold air come rushing into each other. Right. And that's where that sound comes from. It's simple physics. It has nothing to do with a god. There was a time when that's all we had as human beings in terms of understanding. Everything was magic and deities. Well, guess what? We know better now. And since we know better, we really should think better. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it's just, oh, yeah. it's an elementary concept. If you understand something better, then you're 
distant ancestors did, then you shouldn't continue lending deference to them just because you respected them or their views or anything like that. Well, maybe those views were respectable at the time, but we know better now. And it's time to start thinking in terms of what we know and not what we want to be true. Our intellects are designed to eventually think past those tendencies. And that's on an individual level and on a species level. The problem is that too many modern people who have every reason to reject every iteration of religion there is still adhere to belief either because of influences that go back to their infancy or because at the end of the day, it's still how we are wired. Old habits die hard, especially when they're in your DNA. It's also easier to believe in something than it is to think about why we believe it. And sorry, most people out there are lazy as fuck when it comes to thinking about anything. And yes, some of these tendencies run as deep as the building blocks of our makeup. They do. They are hardwired in there. Just because we have these highly developed brains doesn't mean we always know how to make things like microchips, okay? That happens over time. We all have to start somewhere though. If you don't think that thought and behavior are at least somewhat hardwired in us, just look at bees, birds, fish, ants, and more. Who teaches these things their behaviors? And they have some very intricate behaviors. Oh, yeah. Who teaches them? The answer, no one has to. They just behave that way because that's what nature dictates that they do. And nature dictates that we think along certain lines too. But it also provides the means for us to think past those things and become smarter. That's what these advanced brains of ours can do. We can become smarter. And that means that we don't always have to think the way that we think when we are babies or when our species is a baby. On the heels of that, nature dictates to us that we require answers and explanations. That's the way that our brains work too. We're constantly asking questions. Why is this this way? Why does this happen? And those needs are only ever sated by finding, or let's, let's be realistic here. In a lot of cases, it's a matter of settling upon and not finding those answers so that we can get around to the business of thinking about something else. We decide that things are the way they are for reason X, so our brains don't have to stress over them anymore. This is how things like religion start gaining ground. God is a convenient explanation, so we run with it for a time, but then we learn better, or at least we should. That's how secularization is supposed to work. We figure out that we either have the answers or that the answers have yet to be uncovered. We stop stamping everything we don't understand with base explanations and start trying harder to understand them. That is secularization in a nutshell. It's how it is supposed to work. We stop thinking in terms of, well, God did it and start thinking in terms of, well, what really did it? Because we know it wasn't God. But as we know, there are still plenty of people out there who need that anchor of religious belief to satisfy their need to know. I put a capital K on know there because that's what we are striving for is to not have an opinion, but to know right. what's going on. And religion is a terrible anchor for that. But people still 
need certain things. They need explanations for things that they can believe in, like the creation myth. That's where that comes into play. It's not good enough for us to not know where we came from. And we still don't. We still have no idea why life even exists. Mm. We know that it exists. And we can we, we can do things like map the human genome and we can look back in time, literally look back in time and see what the probable origins of our universe were, how long ago it happened. But key questions of why precisely are we here remain unanswered to this day. And religion is a great buffer for that. Right. So people need explanations. And they also need a scapegoat for hanging on to their antiquated thoughts and ideas. And this manifests in things like homophobia. And they can hide behind their God when forming those opinions. And that makes them, in their minds, it makes them right. The Bible is very, very good at placating these kinds of needs. And like our pagan ancestors, we take this concept of God and mold it into whatever works best for us. Remember Life of Pi? Mm -hmm. What's the best story? Yeah. Even to the point of stamping our God as loving and nurturing when his own divinely inspired word paints him in a much darker, more sinister light that leads to things like, step out of line in my church and we'll fucking shoot you. I found this quote interesting. It was the only part of the article that I actually liked. It comes from an article on NewRepublic.com. And I liked this one little snippet that they put out there. Quote, Western societies are largely secular. Even countries like the United States, which contain high levels of religiosity, popular culture, education, and politics all operate within an essentially secular paradigm. And yet, religion continues to prosper. Presidential candidates discuss their faith, People still go to church. Most Americans draw a connection between religion and morality, and religious leaders continue to hold real sway. And this is where the problem lies. Right. We live in a secular society. We do. But there's so much religious influence in that secular society, it's gone a long way toward tainting the data on these things that we should understand about us about our world, about science, about a lot of things, because we want to grow past this. Our species wants to grow past this need for gods and magic and all of this. But the way that most societies are constructed, it is impossible to make that separation because there are too many people in power in a lot of world governments that still think this way and are going to think this way for a very, very long time. God and gods and religious structures are going to be part of the equation. And secularism understands this. That's the interesting part. Secularization is not about eradicating religion. Oddly enough, religion factors into secularization. It's not about removing religion from the equation. It's about doing with religion what we do with everything else, finding a place for it to fit into the structure of society. And when you get it right, the people that want to be involved in it are involved in it, and the people who don't, don't have to be. Right. But the way things are structured right now, you can't get away from it. Because governmental policy is being enacted on the basis of what people believe. Yeah. So if you don't believe it, too bad. You're still bound by these laws and you're still bound by these ways of doing things. 
So you may not believe that abortion is wrong, but guess what? We do. So we're sorry that you're going to die, but it must be God's will. Mm. You can't get away from it. The way that we do things right now as a society, and it's not just America, this is a global thing. Or I, I don't want to say global. It's in a lot of places around the world. Right. In a majority of places around the world, this is the way that it is. Religious tolerance, I'll say it again, is a secular concept. It's where the concept of separation of church and state comes into play. Our founding fathers understood that religion and government should be separate. But here's the problem. There were plenty of those same founding fathers who used their religions to gain influence and integrated their religious principles into the way they governed. This has been a thing from day one in this country and in a lot of other countries that came before us. And the bottom line is that we need a truly secular society, but we also need a moral society. And in the minds of a lot of people out there and many of them who have seats in government, the answer to that is to integrate religious morals into the framework of government and society. It's a very, very slippery slope at best. In some ways, our society has gone through a significant degree of secularization, but we fall way short in others. Let's take a look at just a few of the positive things that secular thought has in fact graced American culture with. There was the end of prohibition. Now, of mm -hmm. course, prohibition was on the other side of the equation. Right. That had very, very religious and moralistic origins. Women's suffrage. And for those who are still caught on that term, and yeah, there are people out there that don't know what this is, it's the right for women to vote. Right. And we haven't had it all that long in this country. No. Nope. 1920s, oh, I it, believe, is when that... It Yeah, 2020 was the 100-year anniversary. Yes. So, yeah. Of when women were able to vote. Right. So, 19, ever since, so since 1920, I don't want to say ever since, since 1920... This has been a thing, right. but America's a lot older than that. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of elections before that, yeah. but it took that long for women in this country to be allowed to vote. And that's just white women. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Black women and any other race could not vote until, I think it was finally, it's like 67. That is not long. No, not at all. And it all stems from the same problem, which is racism, which clearly and obviously has its roots in the Bible. Yes. And other quote unquote holy texts. But, you know, the Bible is pretty brazen in its endorsement of and also training in slavery. Right. And how to own people as property. Mm -hmm. It's all in there. Then just getting back to my list, the space program is another yeah. big one because there's one key element to that that needs to be embraced by a society before you start developing a system around it. And that is a trust in the efficacy of science. Right. So science is a very secular concept. Science and religion are like oil and water. So the fact that we have a space program and other government-backed scientific bodies is further evidence that America wants to be a secular society and isn't being allowed to be. Right. Then you have the civil rights movement, which did admittedly have some very strong spiritual leanings, but the civic nature of it and what society stood to gain from that transcended anything religious. Right. Then there was the sexual revolution. And I'm sorry, you're not going to find that kind of thinking in 
any religious or at least Christian context. Right. People like to talk about we're a Christian nation. Well, no, we're not. We never have been. But there's been all kinds of Christian influence in the way that we do things. And it's also very, very recent that free expression in terms of sexuality has right. been accepted in society. And along those lines, we had Roe versus Wade, which was definitely a good thing. Yeah, It could go away in a heartbeat with the way that the Supreme Court is right now for the opposite reasons, all having to do with religion. Yes, But it was a good decision because it made the point that women have autonomy and yes. should be able to make choices for themselves right down to whether or not they reproduce. And I think that's nothing but good. I mean, I I oh, yeah. have said before, I'm not a fan of abortion as birth control, but no. I'm also not going to judge anyone for having an abortion for whatever reason they do it, because at the end of the day, it's just none of my fucking business and I need to stay out of it. Yeah. So there is that. Movies and TV was the next thing that I that I brainstormed about. What, um, well, movies, TV and pop music, I'm going to just go ahead and cluster them all together because right. I can't think of it anything that comes under more scrutiny in Christian circles than anything pop culture. Oh yeah, definitely. So the fact that we have this vibrant pop culture in this country mm -hmm. is further evidence that this country wants to be secular. You've got the prohibition of state-sanctioned prayer in schools, and we can thank Madeline Murray for that one. I was brought up to not like Madeline Murray. Oh, yeah. We were all brought up to like think that she was a horrible, horrible person. Oh, no, no, no. She, she, did, she did a lot of good for society in just standing up for this one issue, and she stood up for others, too. But this yes. was the one that I think helped keep things at least in our public schools, a little bit more secular. Right. Because prior to that, there was definitely more religious influence on the school system. And it wasn't just prayer. It was other things like corporal punishment mm -hmm. and different defining lines for gender roles and all of that, even in the context of schooling. So this one thing really did away with a lot of religious thinking that had permeated our public school system. So no, she was clearly not a villain. She was one of the biggest heroes that the public school system in America ever saw. And we just talked about Roe versus Wade, but what about the women's liberation movement in right. general? In general, yeah. LGBTQ rights and same-sex marriage. And one of my personal favorites, marijuana legalization, all of these things point toward a society that wants to be secular because none of the things on that list are going to jibe with most Christian doctrine out there. No. None of the things on this list are going to be considered moral by the type of people that stand against them. And where are most of those people getting their morals from? They're getting them from sources like their pastors, and they're getting them from the Bible, the ones that actually read the Bible. Yeah. They're getting it from religious sources. So the fact that society embraces these things to a greater or lesser extent, there are some that aren't quite as widely embraced as of yet. But in terms of society in general, we have at least become okay with most of this stuff which means that we think along secular lines as a society already. Now, all of the above are examples of what secularization is supposed to do. They demonstrate a separation between religious ideas and free thought. They all encapsulate the concept of removing religious considerations from the equation of morality and ethics. 
They communicate that benefits to society and the individual outweigh the opinions and tenets of a religious system and that we should be striving for the former, not falling in lockstep with the latter. But since we think the way we do, and religion still permeates a lot of areas where it should be kept from touching at all, there are still some pretty huge negatives. Let's take a look at a Pew Research study from last year that outlines some very noteworthy facts about the role religion plays in government in the United States. This is from pewresearch.org, and it's one of their articles, one of their studies, called Eight Facts About Religion and Government in the United States. I'm going to go through these kind of quick with a little bit of commentary on some of them. First and foremost, they found, well, they didn't find, they observed that while the U.S. Constitution does not mention God, every state constitution references either God or the divine. Hmm. Think about that. Every state constitution has theistic messaging in the document, which I find shocking. Yeah. But not surprising. Right. Say yeah. that there's a difference. Congress has always been overwhelmingly Christian. Well, we knew this. And roughly nine in ten representatives, that's 88% of the current Congress identifies as Christian. And they've got a nice little infographic here. The link will be in the show notes for you to look at. But this really is an eye opener. And it's not even along conservative or liberal lines. You've got. 136 representative Republican representatives and 97 Democrat representatives that call themselves Protestant. And that's before you look at the ones that identify as Catholic, Jewish, Mormon, and any of the other religions that are very, very, very minutely represented. Right. So 53.7% of the members of Congress are Protestant, 32.5% are Catholic. And then you've got 6% Jewish, 1.4% Mormon, and then, you know, it diminishes from there. There's Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, there's a few others that are represented there, but they're in very small numbers. Almost all U.S. presidents, including 45, have been Christian. Well, you, you want to call 45 a Christian, go right ahead. Yeah. And many have identified as either Episcopalian or Presbyterian. That actually surprised me. That there was a large Episcopal presence in government. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, it really shouldn't surprise you. Because what is our government modeled on? It's modeled on the way that they did things in Great Britain. Because that's who came here in, in the first place. So a lot of what we understood about government came from where we came from. Right. And one of the core governing body, well, not governing bodies... But the core religious body in England is what? The Anglican Church. And what is the Episcopal Church? It's the Anglican Church in America. So it really shouldn't be that surprising. Mm -hmm. Roughly half of Americans feel it is either very or somewhat important for a president to have strong religious beliefs. So when you combine the numbers, it's about 52% who think that the president should be religious. That's kind of scary. Yeah, it but is. it also there's there's also the balancing effect there, with the results of the latest Gallup poll that show that for the first time ever, less than half of Americans 
consider themselves to be religious. Right. So there's a little bit of a balancing act going on there. Mm -hmm. There's the half that think that the president should be religious, and then there's the other half that really doesn't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. They just want yeah. to live their lives. Americans are divided on the extent to which the country's laws should reflect biblical teachings. And it's a really, really close race here. 49% to 50% and like 1% undecided right. on that particular subject. More than 6 in 10 Americans, that's 63%, say churches and other houses of worship should stay out of politics. That yeah. right there is encouraging. Yeah, definitely. And it's part of the reason why evangelicals are starting to lose their foothold. Yeah. And they are. Any way you want to look at it, they are. There's a lot of them, but they're not as strong as we think they are. How many times have I said it just in the few, last few weeks? Only about a third of Americans, that's 32%, say government policies should support religious values. I love how these numbers balance themselves out, and they clearly show that we are moving in the right direction for a society to become truly secularized. And right. this is a good thing. So there are good and bad things going on on this list. The last item that they list here is that even though the Supreme Court ruled in 1962 that it is unconstitutional for a teacher to lead class in prayer at a public school, 8% of public school students aged 13 to 17 say that they have ever experienced this. So only 8% right. of kids who are in school right now say that this happens, and most of those schools are in the South. They're yeah. in the Bible Belt and in places where it's just going to be accepted. And even then, it is still a tiny number, which is also a very good thing. But I think it's also important to note that all outward expressions of faith by the United States government endorse and perpetuate belief in the existence of the Christian God. Is it any wonder at that point that evangelicals think that they own the government? When was the last time a Hindu representative demanded invoking Ganesh at the beginning of a proceeding? It doesn't happen because religions outside of the Judeo-Christian moniker don't have the power from within that Protestantism has. And let's be fair, it's not always wild Pentecostal evangelicals pulling the reins here. But any flavor of Christianity provides an inroad to evangelical thought in government. There's also plenty of agreement between radical evangelical doctrine and that of other more traditional Protestant denominations. A lot of times it's just slight semantical differences and yeah. they can pull whatever meaning they want from it and find points of relatability so that they can further their messaging and use more traditional channels to do it. And some of those influences are very easy to track. Let's think about how things go down in our government sometimes. Just for the sake of example, governmental proceedings are often opened and or closed with prayer. They call them invocations. Government buildings often have monuments or etchings that include scripture verses or passages. Our money still says in God we trust, and that grates on me to no end, and I'm sure it does with a lot of people. Mm. Our Pledge of Allegiance still includes the phrase under God. And you know what? I'm going to stop on that just for a sec. We're going to talk about the Pledge of Allegiance just for a couple of minutes. The Pledge of Allegiance, to me, is a prime example of how religion permeates our government. In a truly secular society, this never would have happened. But as we've already demonstrated, 
Our government has always been stacked with religious people of varying degrees of zeal. It doesn't surprise me that one voice could have made this kind of drastic change. And honestly, that's pretty much what it was. It was one voice that basically made this happen. And that one person's voice got the attention of an American president who turned around and made this a thing that we still do today. The source for this is an article from the Washington Post, and it just it recounts how this came about. And the original Pledge of Allegiance was first penned in 1891 by Francis Bellamy, and it was very simple. It looked like this. I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Short, sweet, to the point. It was perfect the way it was. Later on, however... Things were added, like mentioning the United States, just to be clear which flag we're pledging to. That's not terribly problematic. And for years, there were various calls to invoke the name of God as part of the pledge, but it wouldn't happen for more than 60 years. Then came Reverend George Dougherty, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I actually looked it up. George Dougherty. Born in Glasgow, Scotland in 1911, was brought to the United States in 1950 to become the pastor of the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, a historic house of worship in downtown Washington that Abraham Lincoln attended. When Lincoln was president, the church held a special service on the Sunday closest to his birthday that he liked to attend, and that was about the only one that he liked to attend. It's worth noting here that Lincoln was not a religious person and that he attended church as president for reasons that were far more political than spiritual, and by all accounts didn't attend church that often. But Dougherty himself had not heard the Pledge of Allegiance until he heard his young son recite it. He said, I came from Scotland, where we said, God save our gracious queen, God save our gracious king. Here was the Pledge of Allegiance, and God wasn't in it at all. Well, that's good in a secular society, but it wasn't good enough for this guy. Dougherty had previously sermonized about the need to insert, quote, under God into the pledge, but he found his prime audience in February 1954 when President Dwight D. Eisenhower attended Dougherty's service in honor of Lincoln's birthday. In that sermon, he said, to omit the words under God in the Pledge of Allegiance is to omit the definitive factor in the American way of life. He knew the president was going to be there. Well, yeah. This wasn't sermonizing. This was soapboxing. Yeah, okay? definitely. And uh, thank goodness he wasn't too overdramatic or anything. I mean, there's that signature emotionalism and sensationalism again and this time it got the attention of the president now Dougherty argued if you're going to argue anything in a sermon he argued that under god was broad enough to include jews and muslims although he discounted atheists because of course he did an atheistic american is a contradiction in terms really i'm still a citizen if you deny the christian ethic you fall short of the american ideal of life there's that lovely signature christian arrogance at play really and i i'm reading this and i just made this little note he said if you deny the christian ethic you fall short of the american ideal of life the american ideal of life said the scottish immigrant You mean the Christian ethic that, I'm sorry, but are you talking about the Christian ethic that calls for enslaving black people and attacking and killing them for being black, for just being black? 
Are we talking about the Christian ethic that would deny a woman an abortion even if her life is in danger because it must be God's will? Are we talking about the Christian ethic that pries its way into everybody's bedrooms and makes a particular stink if everyone in the room has the same chromosomal makeup? Ideally, I think society would be better without any of that. Mm. So that's what I think of your Christian ethics and the necessity of inserting this into our Pledge of Allegiance. Let the people who want to pledge their allegiance to God pledge to God. Let the people who want to pledge to their country pledge to their country. These two things do not have to occupy the same space. Now, prior to all this, calls to add under God to the pledge had been promoted by groups including the Knights of Columbus and veterans organizations, but Eisenhower proved to be the audience the movement was missing. And I'm sorry, this whole thing was a setup. Yeah, It was such a setup. The week of Dougherty's sermon, bills were introduced in Congress to add the phrase, and Eisenhower signed the act into law on Flag Day, June 14th, 1954. All of a sudden, I don't like Ike that much. (laughs) Although, I'm kind of caught between a rock and a hard place with this guy, because when you think about what I do for a living... He was also instrumental in the development of the interstate highway system. Yeah. So we may have to say one nation under God, but we also have safe roads that we can travel on. And if you've never looked into the creation of the interstate system, it's something I recommend very, very highly, but I'm not going to spend time on it here for obvious reasons. (laughs) But it's it's actually pretty fascinating. And he was behind that, too. So you learn to take the good with the bad. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. And, you know, I don't think I need to get into the entire laundry list of ways that religion has steered the tides in our government over the years. But religion and in recent years, evangelical religion has definitely had an undue amount of say in policymaking and legal issues. And it goes way beyond just adding this phrase to our Pledge of Allegiance. Now, it was Jimmy Carter who opened the doors wide to the influx of evangelical influence in our government. Note that I said evangelical and not Christian. Now, I don't want to vilify him. No. I actually really respect Jimmy Carter. I'm not saying this was his fault. I'm just saying that this is how it went down. And this comes from a New York Times article called Religion and Right-Wing Politics, How Evangelicals Reshaped Elections. And I'm going to read a little bit of a lengthy quote here. When he campaigned for president in 1976, Jimmy Carter often invoked the late theologian Reinhold Niebuhr and his admonition that, quote, the sad duty of politics is to establish justice in a sinful world, unquote. That sort of faith-inflected speech from a major national politician was new to most voters. So was the candidate himself, a former Georgia governor who taught Sunday school and described himself as born again. This was an obscure term for many millions of Americans at the time. Mr. Carter managed narrowly to win that first post-Watergate national election. As president, he put liberal aspects of his Baptist tradition front and center, whether appealing for racial equality, lamenting economic disparity, or making human rights concerns integral to American foreign policy. What he did not win were the hearts and minds of his white co-religionists. Even as late as the mid-1970s, the term born again was kind of a fringe concept, especially in American politics. But evangelicalism was alive and well throughout the heartland, and it was often associated with some of the darkest attributes of the faith, specifically the radical, far-right-leaning segment that would come to be known as white evangelicals. 
So it's true. Jimmy Carter was the catalyst for an entire movement of hate-filled vitriol fueled by a segment of the population that didn't like his liberal slant on Christianity. Again, it wasn't his fault. Let's be clear about that. He didn't get the ball rolling with an evangelical shitstorm in our government. But how dare you be a liberal and call yourself a Christian? Carter tried to mainstream liberal Christian thought, and the proud boys of the day didn't like it one bit. When confronted with the aspects of their religion that didn't relate directly to their own personal gains and benefits, they had to start pushing back, and push back they did. This is around the same time that organizations like the Moral Majority began making their voices heard, and they did it with the express intent of infusing conservative evangelical thought, policy, and practice into the workings of government. It was and is a platform of desecularization designed to ultimately steer America in the direction of theocratic governance. The moral majority was the mouthpiece that white evangelicals needed, and they used it well. Prior to the development of that organization in particular, evangelicals tended to keep out of politics as any secularized society would dictate. The fact that they managed to gain momentum for decades is a warning that things can easily change course and that we as free thinkers and secularists need to pay attention. Today, we are definitely seeing a loss of momentum in evangelical influence. I think the fact that they couldn't keep a tyrant leader in office, coupled with the very public toddler-esque way that they handled their loss in the last election are showing America and the world that they are not only losing their foothold, but that they have no practical, sane, logical, or even mature way of managing their messaging, and it's time for radical sweeping change. And there are loads of things that I think just flat out need to go, and here are just a few. And when I say just a few, there's quite a few. Yeah. First, in God We Trust, needs to be off our currency. The under God part of the Pledge of Allegiance needs to go the way of the dodo also. Tolerance of racism and governmental systems that are designed to keep people, mostly minorities, poor, dependent on government and in their place, you know, like what God expects from his children. These things need to go also. We need to cut fewer welfare checks, refill fewer EBT cards, and make education and job training more accessible to the people who fill the welfare roles because most aren't there because they want a free ride. They're there because no other viable, attainable way out is being presented to them. Next, we need to get rid of religious influence in politics outright. We need to do away with tax exemptions for religious organizations. We need to start holding religious charities accountable for the money that they collect and where it goes. We need better checks and balances on high-level justices that rule based on personal beliefs and not the rule of law. And we've seen this several times with this current Supreme Court already. Yes. We need to remove special exemptions afforded religious organizations that threaten public safety. And I'm talking specifically here about churches that insist on having mass gatherings during a pandemic and take their fight all the way to the Supreme Court so that they can go on harming people. Right. We need to do away with wage gaps because all that represents is this skewed religious concept that in some way, shape or form, men are more valuable than women. 
in every aspect of life, including in the workplace, and that they don't deserve to make as much as a man does to do the exact same job, which is bullshit. We need to eradicate political involvement in women's health issues. Yeah. And we need to stop letting men decide what women do with their bodies, period. We need to stop adhering to conflicting standards of conduct and appearance between the sexes. And this is still a thing in our country. Pink is still for girls and blue is still for boys. And we need to start moving away from that sort of thinking. We need to stop arguing over what constitutes a marriage and just let people love who they're going to love. We need to get rid of hackneyed sexual mores that affect people's social status, employment, and more. We need to get rid of moralistic rules of conduct imposed by employers that affect people outside work. Don't tell me I can't smoke weed outside work. Right. Don't tell me to pee in a cup so that you can see what I do when I walk off your premises. We need to appeal to established scientific bodies first when dealing with widespread public health crises and not politics. We need to stop stamping entire societies with uniform codes of morals and ethics. There are too many issues that our government looks at as black and white. And they look at them in those terms because the vast majority of them adhere to at least similar religious structures. And it's those thought processes that determine what policy is going to be. And that needs to stop as well. We need to stop allowing messaging from religious leaders and personalities that threaten public safety. Let's remember, and yes, I'm saying tape their mouths shut, and here's why. Freedom of speech does not extend to messaging that creates harm or chaos, vis-a-vis yelling fire in a crowded theater. How about enacting penalties for perpetuating rumors, fears, and outright nonsense about things like masking, vaccines, and the very existence of COVID-19. How about demanding mandatory disclaimers from these nutbag televangelists that state unequivocally that what they're saying is nothing but their opinion and that those opinions have no basis in observable fact or science? Oh yeah, that'll happen. Mm -hmm. I think it should, Yeah, but it's not going to anytime soon. And that's a huge problem, especially right now. Yeah. We need to eliminate the option of teaching creationism, either alongside of or in place of evolution in public and private schools. And we need to stop calling it science. We need to do away with corporal punishment in all schools, not just letting the private schools have their way. Mm-hmm. No. We need to do away with this as a society. It does no good for anyone. And spare the rod, spoil the child, that right there is a biblical concept. And that right there tells me that it has no room in a secular society. Let parents decide how to deal with their kids. Don't tell me to hit them because they act up. We need to do away with the continued, unabated, unchecked, and unregulated operation of recognized and identified hate groups, an overwhelming majority of which have religious ties and foundations, including organizations like the KKK and other white supremacist organizations that are like it. So that's a a long list of things that need to change, and I think I really only scratched the surface with what I brainstormed. There's way more than that. 
But let's just look at this very comparatively small list for a second. How do we make those changes? It's like I've said before, we have to be mobile and not complacent. We need to make our wants known to the people who represent us in government. We have to use the voices that our current political structure affords us and start using them more aggressively. We need to counter theistic thought with secular thought and make it crystal clear to the policymakers in our government that faith-based anything is bad for society and that secular thought on the same issues is more beneficial and will do far more to move society forward than reciting lines like one nation under God ever will. And while every political structure out there has its advantages and disadvantages, no society ever got better by forcing more religion on the populace. Ask anyone who lived in Iran in the 1970s and still lives there today. Theocracy breeds chaos. Secularization quells it. Theocracy brings division. Secularization promotes cooperation. Theocracy demands conformity in thought and actions. Secularization acknowledges that all viewpoints matter. Yes, even religious viewpoints. It just does a better job of keeping certain things in places where they benefit the individuals who want to engage in them and don't have undue influence over people who do not. If we want our government of the people, by the people, and for the people to not perish from the earth, it will take coming to an understanding that all people's views, wants, and needs matter, and it will take no longer weighing decisions on how to govern against Bronze Age thought or lending deference to religious systems that show a greater propensity for causing division among people than they ever will in bringing them together. United we stand, divided we fall, is a concept that I think has gotten lost in the last few decades in American politics in a major way. Let's keep in mind that we have the power to bring unity, and we also have the power to cultivate division. It all has to do with who rises up as the influencers. Let's also remember that the most important line in the Pledge of Allegiance is not one that has to do with God, but with the concept of liberty and justice for all. When Gallup reports that religion is on the decline in our country, that, in my opinion, is our signal to start making our voices all the louder, to make people understand that taking our cues from fake gods will not get us anywhere and that the time for reasoned, rational, secular thought is upon us. At the end of the day, we don't have to go on being a nation divided along theistic lines. It is possible to come together and move in positive directions under common purposes. It is possible to find key points of agreement that keep everyone's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in focus. And it is possible to be strongly united as a people while at the same time being and remaining religiously unbound. hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. 
That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.